0: You are Locked On Bears, your daily Chicago Bears podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Bears, and I'm your host, Lauren Cox. I cover the Chicago Bears for NBC Sports Chicago, and I cover the NFL for Pro Football Focus. Locked On Bears is your podcast destination for daily Chicago Bears news and analysis, and this is a crossover edition of Locked On Bears. I'll be joined by Grant Goldberg and Spike Friedman of Locked On Seahawks, and we're going to break down everything we can about this Seattle team that is a lot different than the Seattle team that you may have remembered from a pretty recent trip to the Super Bowl. A lot has changed with Pete Carroll's team, and so the folks over at Locked On Seahawks are here to help us understand what the Bears are going to be dealing with here on Monday night. With two hosts on Locked On Seahawks, there's plenty to get to, so let's jump right in. Joining us now on Locked On Bears is Grant Goldberg and Spike Friedman. They are the hosts of Locked On Seahawks here on the Locked On Podcast Network, bringing us a crossover edition here, and this might actually be the first time i formally had two guests on at the same time so so it's a little bit of an adjustment for me but uh gentlemen uh, one at a time
1: welcome to the podcast
2: ah uh, thank you lauren and i'm going to fill that spot and then grant you, you you say thank you as well
1: thank you lauren i i <laughs> usually i usually have to wait for spike to give me the cue to thank people to he's always reminding me to use my manners so you know thank you for having us on the show i'll be sure to say please and and just use all my manners that I can. See, I'm glad you guys
0: addressed each other by first name, so now the listeners can kind of keep track. Okay, who's talking now? And I'll try and uh, address the questions at one of you individually here and go back and forth. But then if if someone wants to chime in or, or would like to defer to the other person as having a, a better or just more interesting opinion on something, feel free to uh, bicker amongst yourself. But let's start with... I think the the breakout star of the Seattle Seahawks this year, the punter, Michael Dixon. Yes. What type of an impact does this guy have on the game, and, and how is he making special teams special again? We'll start with Spike, since I, I got the impression that he's pretty fired up about the punter.
2: I am incredibly fired up about punter Michael Dixon. We traded up in the fifth round to grab him. And the impact that Dixon's had, he's an Aussie rules guy. He's out of Texas where he won the Ray Guy Award. He was also his bowl game MVP against Missouri last year. I believe he had 12 punts in that game, 10 of which ended up within the 10-yard line. It's wild. It is absolutely wild how good Michael Dixon is. And it comes down to every phase of the punting game. His hang time is ludicrous. He has nine different punts, which means the ball is spinning different ways almost every time he kicks it. He's got this one punt. He's deployed a bunch. You can watch the Vikings preseason highlights if you want to see it, where it kicks to the side on like a 90-degree Like, turn and, like, skips out of bounds inside the five pretty consistently on the right side of the field. Mm -hmm. That one's a particular favorite of mine. He also has some just boomers. But then he's also got some that flutter and are very difficult to catch. So he can force fumbles, he can pin you deep, and he can hit it high. Hit it long. He had a 69 yarder that went out of bounds at the six yard line against the Broncos. He had one that was able uh, to be pinned at the two with our gunner, Nico Thorpe, doing that. He netted 57 yards per punt in our first game against the Broncos. That is the second highest number for any punter who's had at least four punts in a game in the history of the NFL. That is a staggering thing for a rookie to do in his first week. I've said he's the LeBron James of punting. (laughs) I feel like I might be underselling it. I I mean, he is wild. It, It is sad in a little bit. I think Bill Barnwell tweeted this, that like the Seahawks have been a great team for the past I mean, the better part of the past decade and a half, but really these past six years, we've had a bunch of units that have at different times been the best in the NFL at what they are, whether it was Marshawn Lynch, whether it was the Legion of Boom, whether it was that pass rush in terms of depth with Bennett and Avril and all the guys behind them. Now our best unit is Punter, uh, but I don't care. I love him, and it's amazing, and he's going to be really annoying for you guys if, you, uh, if you're able to make an impact on the defensive side of the ball.
0: Well, just for those playing along at home, Spike talked about punters for almost three minutes on the podcast, so (laughs) a a great start here, and I'm sure the top matchup in this game will be Michael Dixon versus the Wins at Soldier Field, but I want to get into a a more uh, adversarial matchup here, and I want to start with another kind of emerging player on this Seahawks offense, and that is the tight end, the rookie Will Disley, a fourth-round pick who you know he caught two passes in the preseason and it really didn't do a lot there but then comes out this past week over 100 yards against the Broncos. I know the Broncos struggle with tight ends and and running backs as the Bears kind of saw when they played him in the preseason but I guess uh we'll we'll go to Grant now. Where where does where did Will Disley come from and I guess uh what is the expectation now kind of moving forward? Was this a Was this an aberration, a one-time thing, or is he going to be a a featured weapon in this offense?
1: Well, from the way the the coaching staff has talked about him, it seems like it's going to be a thing throughout the season, which is surprising because of his, I wouldn't say lack of impact during the preseason, but how muted he was inside the offense. You generally just saw him blocking, which he did really well. That was the wrath on him coming out of Washington. But he really burst onto the scene in Denver. Uh, defenders were just pinballing off of him down the field. And he was getting open, making tough grabs. And so, you no, know, I everyone was really impressed. But the Seahawks apparently saw it coming the whole time. And they said that they were just waiting to unleash him like a secret weapon. And so I wouldn't be surprised if he was a big factor in Seattle's offense throughout this whole season.
0: And, you know, it's funny. Will Disley... Actually, now has odds for Offensive Rookie of the Year on mybookie.ag. Guess all it takes is a hundred-yard game. It's still sixty to one, which is way down there in terms of the overall rankings. And like for comparison, uh, Anthony Miller is still forty to one, despite not doing a whole lot in Week One. So if those are odds you like, I mean mybookie.ag as always is the place to do it. As we've been kind of talking about this week, the betting line on Bears-Seahawks is Bears by 3.5, and, and just straight pick them is Bears minus 180, with an over-under set at 43.5. But if trying to predict the game's not really your thing, they have some other cool stuff on here. Like one of the specials they have right now is a prop bet. Uh, Khalil Mack, regular season total sacks, over-under 13.5. He's already on pace for sixteen. With one last week and he's probably going to get a couple against the Seahawks this week which we're going to talk about in a minute but they also are doing over under Khalil Mack regular season interceptions and it's over under 1.5 and he already has one so i mean it, and over is plus 160 so that that is legitimately easy money right there that i i i'm curious as to whether Khalil Mack i i mean i would guess Cleomax probably going to get another interception. And plus 160 on that is going to give you a nice return on investment if you're interested in throwing some money down. And mybookie.ag is the place to do it. Right now, if you sign up, they will match your first deposit dollar for dollar if you use the promo code locked on when you first sign up. Because at mybookie.ag, you play, you win, you get paid. We're talking Bears-Seahawks here with Grant Goldberg and Spike Friedman of Locked On Seahawks. And guys, I know they're hurting a little bit on the weapon department with Doug Baldwin now hurt. And I got to ask about former Bears wide receiver Brandon Marshall kind of taking a spot in that Seahawks. Oh, I mean, I know Tyler Laquette is probably still the, the top wide receiver option in terms of what Russell Wilson's going to look for. But what type of an impact is Brandon Marshall having? And I guess... You know, how old and washed up is he or is he still a pretty significant threat there? We'll throw it back to Spike.
2: I think it's a great question. Lockett is a great explosive option. He's got speed. He's got really good footwork. His speed was diminished last year due to some injuries, which made him a less effective player. The team thinks he's back at full strength. They gave him a contract extension that really suggests that they are all in on him as that sort of second stretch of the field option. But Doug Baldwin is the security blanket. Doug Baldwin is the guy that Russell Wilson goes to on third down, and he's not there Brandon Marshall is going to have to be that guy a little bit. And what we've seen from him is that he's got great rapport with Russell Wilson and he looks healthy enough. And he's obviously got the big body. He's not the explosive speed guy. He was when he was in Denver, when he was in Chicago, not that he was ever like the fastest guy, but he had the full complement of skills. He was a five-tool wide receiver, if you will. I mean, watching him on the Bears, it was insane what he and Alshon were doing at their absolute peak. So we're not seeing that guy, but if we can see Brandon Marshall, savvy veteran possession receiver for the next four to six weeks, guy who can run really solid routes, guy who has that sort of great instincts, and who has been working a ton outside of practice with Russell Wilson to make sure they're on the same page, and he can be that security blanket that gets us through this period of time where we don't have Doug Baldwin, that would be a huge impact. That would be an epic thing to see. And we saw it already. I mean, he got an OPI that pulled one touchdown off the board, but he had another touchdown. He had a number of receptions. I think he was, what, four receptions, 50-plus yards and a touchdown. For a guy who's 34 and isn't Jerry Rice, that's really good. You know, like, receivers don't age that well in this league. Uh, and we've seen Marshall be good every other year for the latter part of his career. He was he was nothing last year. If we can get that last great year out of him, that would be a, a huge, huge thing for the Seahawks team. The year right is absolutely bereft of elite weapons. I mean, at best, we've got Chris Carson, Lockett, and Marshall, and Disley. I mean, that's not—when I list those guys off, that isn't striking fear into anybody's hearts.
0: Well, and neither is the Seahawks' offensive line, which has long been— the weakness of this offense. And it seemed like last week, you know, the left side struggle. I mean, I'm sure there's struggles on, on the, enti- the entire front, but the left side seemed to be giving up a lot of that pressure. And I know if gave up a couple sacks on the right side, we're going to see Mac versus Fede. And maybe that's kind of the obvious matchup here. But in terms of the rest of the Seahawks offensive line, where is the weak link or or is the better question, where is the strong link? And I'll, I'll throw that to uh, to Grant.
1: Uh, I think right off the bat, kind of clearly the strongest side is the left side. Uh, You have Dwayne Brown, who they just signed to a three-year, $36 million extension. And then you have Ethan Posig, who's a second-year player, played pretty well last year uh, given the circumstances, and he had a strong preseason, and so hopefully he can build on top of that. Uh, Justin Britt has been to the Pro Bowl, I think, Uh, but my area of concern outside of Lafetti is right guard because DJ Fluker has had uh, a hand issue. He's had a hamstring issue. And so he's been having a tough time getting back. And J.R. Sweezy has had to fill in. And he's a guy that was with the Seahawks and then with the Tampa Bay and now is back. He's had some problems, injuries. And so it's just a matter of consistency at that spot and who you're going to get. And and from week to week, you kind of just don't know. So hopefully um, there'll be some stability there, but it's kind of a revolving door given Fluker's injury and, and Sweezy's signing to the team.
0: I want to get to the Seahawks defense now because they're certainly not the group that they once were. They've slowly been losing some of their big name talent and trying to replace it with some homegrown guys just from a financial standpoint. Let's start with this defensive line because, you know, I think the pass rush was so critical to what the Seahawks were able to do in the secondary in years past, and it seems like they haven't been able to replicate that up front. Uh, Spike, what what does the Seahawks' defensive line look like? It seems like they're maybe a little bit better in run defense and getting after the quarterback, but how much of a concern are they on the whole?
2: It's very concerning, and with all the names that are no longer on this Seahawks defense, all the big names, Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, Michael Bennett, K.J. Wright right now uh, with him out with a small knee injury, the one who I think they've done the worst job replacing is Cliff Averill, and he was always the unsung hero of this defense. His ability to bend the edge, strip sacks, just keep consistent pressure against teams, right tackles. I mean, it's invaluable and it just isn't there anymore. And I feel like he was underappreciated throughout his career and he has not been replaced by the team. I mean, Deion Jordan is the guy who they've got for that position. Deion Jordan's had injury issues since the second he came into the league. And I don't think he's that guy. Frank Clark has not become an elite pass rusher. He's solid. He's solid on the other side. But he's not elite. And we don't have an Aaron Donald inside. We don't, I mean, nobody else has an Aaron Donald, but we don't have a great, we don't have a Geno Atkins. We don't have any of those sort of great interior defensive tackle pass rushers. We have solid defensive tackles, whether it's Jaron Reed, whether it's Tom Johnson, who we just acquired from Minnesota, uh, guys who can both, you know, prevent, prevent Trubisky from stepping up, but that isn't really his game, can at least clog some lanes in the rushing game. You know, we're okay in that respect. But we don't have a great game wrecker inside, and we don't have a great speed rusher outside. And the combination there, I mean, like, I joke about it, but, like, the only good thing is we're unlikely to get too many roughing the passer penalties, except last week we managed to get one on one of our six pressures. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> – so it's it, – I mean, like and, – and, I mean, this is a very small thing, but, like, the way Cliff Averill roughs passers – is what the NFL wants to reward now because he was so good with his hands. He never was a body weight tackler. You know, he was always he was always going after the ball. He was always trying to tip the ball or strip the ball. I mean, he was he was the best at strip sacks off the edge in the NFL for his entire career. We really miss him. And the defensive line as it's constructed now is not good enough. I think it's a place where next year, when the cap is back in better situation that's where they're going to go either in the first round or with a big free agent signing. I mean, Averill was a free agent signing when we got him. I think they really missed Sheldon Richardson as well. I just think the defensive line is a, it's a bunch of replacement level guys and Frank Clark, who's only one or two steps above that.
0: Well, this certainly isn't the Seattle Seahawks defense that we once knew, but coming up next on locked on bears crossing over with locked on Seahawks. We'll get into the back seven of this Seattle Seahawks defense and try and get a feel for what's left of the Legion of Boom. Keep it locked on Locked on Bears. Today we are crossing over with Spike Friedman and Grant Goldberg from Locked on Seahawks giving you a look at Monday night's matchup. And guys, what about this Seahawks linebacking core? Because... You know, one of the names that stuck around still is Bobby Wagner in the middle there and Earl Thomas in the secondary that I want to get to next. But, you know, they have Shaquem Griffin in there, which is a, a nice story. And Barcavius Mingo is still trying to kind of get his career back on track from a, a disappointing start in Cleveland. But, you know, how do they match up, particularly with running backs, not only in the running game, but the Bears through, you know, the, Mitch Trubisky's most targeted receivers in the first game were Tariq Cohen and Jordan Howard, a lot of which were out of the backfield. What, what, how did the Seahawks kind of match up there from a linebacker standpoint in both the run and pass game? And we'll throw this back to uh, to Grant.
1: Well, I think uh, obviously the linebacker best suited in pass defense and in run defense is Bobby Wagner for the Seahawks. But that goes without saying. Uh, so really the, the area of concern or the area that we're going to look at is Shaquem Griffin and Barkevius Mingo and Austin Calitro, because they're all going to get snaps. And so the biggest problem with Shaquem is, and he's so fast and he's so quick to try to get to the ball that he maybe over-pursuits a little bit and gets you know too overzealous and and uh, and just playing up misses tackles or you know misses an assignment and so that's where we see some issues. Austin Clavichro is not you know the most well-rounded player, so you know there's just you know a, a clear talent gap when it comes to uh, players matching up with him. And then Barkevius Mingo. I'd say he's best in in areas where he can use his athleticism, uh, whether it be running down the ball carrier or trying to get to the quarterback. But you don't want him out in coverage. So if the if the Bears want to exploit one of those matchups, I, I'd really suggest it'd be against Mingo, and you try to uh, get him matched up on one of those running backs and see if they can uh, create some separation and get them the ball. And you know, uh Bobby Wagner's on the field for pretty much I, I it looks like every single play,
0: and then uh Mingo, Griffin and uh Calitro seem to play a similar amount of snaps. Uh, just right back at you, Grant here, D- does is there any rhyme or reason to when those guys are on the field? Like is there one in particular that tends to play more of the nickel and passing situations or is it more of a pure rotation?
1: Uh, I'd say uh Shaquem's probably the one that's most likely to play in the nickel situations, but it's a little bit more of a rotation. We saw Kalicho coming on in relief of Shaquem, uh, especially after him allowing a touchdown. But uh, yeah, it's it's getting those different guys in there, keeping them fresh. I think it was a little bit of a product of rotating the guys to uh, make sure they're all right in the Denver heat and altitude. And so I don't know if it's going to be a little bit more of a steady dose of one or two guys in Chicago. But, uh, yeah, I'd say Shaquem's the most likely to play because uh, he's the most well-rounded. I'd say, uh, he provides the most energy, has the foot speed and the pursuit. But, uh, yeah, him and him and Mingo, and then Khalitra, I'd say that's the rotation.
0: Let's wrap up here with Spike and this uh, the whatever was left of the legion of boom in the secondary. what What is kind of the state? of this Seahawks secondary, because we know, you know, Earl Thomas is great. He had that great pick last week. And honestly, I'm expecting him to get one off Trubisky because Trubisky had a dropped interception last week. But Trey Flowers, the rookie, got the start at cornerback. And from what I could tell, he struggled pretty greatly. And Shaquille Griffin is pretty good, but it's certainly not what they once had at that position. So just kind of generally, what what is the state of the secondary and, and how vulnerable could they be?
2: Yeah, honestly, I think the secondary looked okay. Uh, I mean, Denver's not the most formidable opponent. Case Keenum isn't great. But I thought Trey Flowers did better than I would have expected for a late-round rookie cornerback stepping in and having to play a full slate of snaps. I mean, it is a shallow group. I'm going to say that about it. Our first guys up, Shaquille Griffin is very good. He's not Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman was, I believe, underrated in terms of his time in Seattle, and that other than Revis, he's the best cornerback in the league every year. I think he was still better than Chris Harris his last year. So I'll like, go out on a limb and say stuff like that. Like Richard Sherman was incredible. He locked down a side of the field. Keel Griffin is very, very good though, and so that's something. Like That's a great place to start. Earl Thomas, when he was on the field, he played all but 10 snaps against the Broncos. When he was On the field versus off the field, the yards per play doubled for Denver. When he was off the field, it was double when he was on it. So when you talk about a guy having an impact – and he was on a pitch count, which is why I was off the field at all – I cannot see the Seahawks getting away with taking him off the field for a single snap while he's healthy for the rest of the year. The impact is too significant. He is too integral to what they're doing, and they need to pay him now. Bradley McDougald was excellent. He's dealing with a little bit of a knee injury, so his he could be questionable going into this game. If he's healthy, though, he could have had three picks. He had two picks against Case Keenum. Could have easily had three, dropped a third as egregiously as Kyle Fuller did for y'all. So, you know, like when I look at the safety duo – It's almost, it's arguably one of the best in the league. And so that second cornerback position, yeah, Trey Flowers, you know, he's a rookie. He's unheralded, but he looked pretty good. The thing is, is behind them, it's issues. It's issues, it's issues, it's issues. They used two draft picks on safeties last year, Delano Hill and Tedrick Thompson. Thompson looks okay when he's in the game, but he certainly doesn't look like he's capable of starting. Hill looks downright bad and is not long for this team if he doesn't improve. And they cut Shalom Luani, who they traded a draft pick for at the end of uh, the preseason. So I don't even know what the heck is going on there. And then Akeem King, I really like him as a long-term prospect, but they had to pull him up off the practice squad when Deontay Johnson went down. So the depth just isn't there. If we have one injury in that secondary, it goes from holding it together with a couple of great guys to real bad, real fast.
0: And just one last... A note on that to wrap up, Spike. Um Justin Coleman still primarily a slot guy. How does he hold up? And then what happened to Nico Thorpe? I was expecting more from him, but I don't recall seeing him last week.
2: Okay, so Coleman, yeah, Coleman's a slot guy. He had one blown he had one nasty blown coverage last week, but he's still really solid. Uh, should have dropped his name. He is, he plays a good amount of snaps and that's, that's a big influencer on the rotation for the linebackers. He's in there on nickel packages. He looks pretty good. Still great value. We got him for a fifth rounder from new England. So I always like when we pull one over on Belichick and turn a guy into something useful. So that's been really nice for us. Um, and yeah, he's been solid. I think he's as good as peak Jeremy Lane, which is saying something that's pretty solid. Um, Nico Thorpe was injured a lot this preseason, so and he's a special teams wizard. They seem to be easing him back in by just having him play special teams. He's actually a captain on the team right now, and he had an incredible play to down a Michael Dixon punt on the two-yard line. Uh, Those two are a duo you're going to fear on special teams. Thorpe was developing as a cornerback, uh, but missing all of preseason Really hurt him in terms of competing to get snaps on the defensive side of the ball. For now, at least through the bye week, which I think for us is week five or six, uh, I'm expecting him to just be playing that gunner role on special teams.
0: Well, I'm glad we could start with special teams and end with special teams. Fellas, great stuff breaking down the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, If you want to go one at a time, tell people not only where they
1: can find you on Twitter, but
0: what else it is you do in this world of sports media. Since Spike just got to finish talking, let's go to Grant.
1: Uh, Yeah, well, to start off with Twitter, since it's the easiest, you can find me at Grant Goldberg. It's just my name. Uh, You can find a lot of my work at... Silver screen and roll at lakers sbn on twitter uh, it's sbnation's lakers site and we've got a really really great team putting out a lot of great content so i suggest if you're an nba fan or a lakers fan you should check that out uh and then obviously check out locked on seahawks we put out content you know four days a week and you know it's it's exciting we try to have as many guests as we can and it's always great to do these crossover episodes and so i just want to thank you lauren for having us on And Spike.
2: Yeah, I uh, again at Spike Friedman on Twitter, I write for The Stranger if you want to read a really weird recap for this. The Strangers are uh, weekly paper up in Seattle. Uh, So I write I get to write really weird Seahawks recaps. Uh, So check that out this week if you want to read a weird breakdown of your game.
0: I'm assuming Michael Dixon is the lead of every story
2: uh he look i i gave him two full graphs last week <laughs> will he be the lead this week he'll have to earn it you know i gotta keep him i gotta keep the pressure on him by saying look out punt what you punted last week then you get to be the lead but hopefully he does it
0: always come punt <laughs> he's got to get better every day and you know that's at the end of the day he's got to earn it He got to keep him on his toes and i appreciate you guys coming on the podcast thanks so
2: much thank you thanks
0: Thanks again to Grant Goldberg and Spike Friedman for joining us on the podcast today. If you want more Seattle Seahawks analysis ahead of Monday night's matchup, you got to check out the Locked On Seahawks podcast. And if you enjoyed our conversation today, make sure you subscribe to Locked On Bears if you haven't already. Leave us that review on iTunes. It really goes a long way. And tell a friend. About your favorite daily Chicago Bears podcast. That's what really helps us grow the show here and reach more Bears fans and bring more Bears fans into the conversation here with our voicemail and text line. Feel free to leave us a message leading up to the game, during the game, after the game, this weekend, you name it. You got questions, you got reactions. It's 312 620 8590. The best questions, the best reactions will get on the air. I try and get to as many as I can. I know know, when we have guests like this, there isn't always room to squeeze them on, but I appreciate everyone that's been submitting them, and we'll have to do some mailbag episodes here moving forward as we start to get more and more in. But again, 312-620-8590 is the phone number. We take texts, we take voicemails, and that's how you can join the conversation here on Locked on Bears. On our next episode, we'll dive into some specific matchups and scheme here as to how the Bears can best put themselves in a position to win. We talked about some things last week that they did, some things that they didn't end up doing that could have made a difference against Green Bay. And now Seattle, I think, is a little bit of an easier matchup, like I kind of alluded to today. And I want to go into some of the nitty gritty of the, the matchups that can make all the difference on Monday night. Hope you'll keep it locked on Locked On Bears this week. This Friday episode may end up ultimately serving as our Monday episode as well because the Bears don't play till Monday night. So, of course, our reaction will be Tuesday morning. Not sure if we're going to have something for Monday. It'll depend on kind of what happens this weekend. You know, if they name Roquan Smith the starter or something, we'll come back. We'll get you some podcasts. We'll get some kind of daily Chicago Bears news and analysis for you. That's what you've come to expect from Locked On Bears. And the other thing you've come to expect well you know where I'm going with this by now bear down